Welcome, one and all, to Dad Pod Season 3, Beyond Sleeping In, Episode 10, the final episode of this season. Pretty much, Charlie. Do we get taken down for that? Is that like copyright? Probably not. There's only four notes. Right. If you get more than five notes, you've got to pay a copyright. Is that how it works? I've always wondered. Because you hear, like, you know, you listen to podcasts where they'll say we can play the first kind of, you know, 10 seconds of a song, but then once it strays into, and I've always wondered, what, what is that? I think, I vaguely heard, remember, I vaguely remember, because it came around the time the McDonald's jingle came in, there's that you've got to have a minimum of five notes to be able to copyright it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba is five. Right, okay. And what's Intel? Blum, 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 blum. Yeah. But then you're a musician, so tell me this. And look, we're going to get to the dad stuff in a second, but you know, we I'm will. curious about this yeah. stuff. But doesn't every song, especially every pop song, yeah. have the same four chords? Very Just similar. Like, every movie uses the same words, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I know, but like, you know, you've heard that Axis of Awesome song where they just sort of do that medley of songs all oh, using, yeah, like, yeah. you know. Oh, there was, the- yeah, there was a whole time when, you know, it's the same. But then it's 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 how you put it together, mate. It's how every piece right. is made of the same ingredients. But, you know, Domino's and Eagle Boys or whoever is still alive who still works, you know, they sell different pieces and one doesn't take the other down. It's what it is to the listener. It's what it is to the users, what it is to the end user. It's like this so podcast. There's many parenting podcasts out there and we probably say the same shit that everybody else does. But it's what we mean to them. Them and what they take from what we speak that gives yeah. them a unique experience of what Dad Pod is, Charlie. Well, there literally is another podcast called Dad Pod. <laughs> and when Osher and I put this show together, we looked at them, we saw their last upload date, we're like, I reckon we can safely put our show out. <laughs> yeah, we've yet to receive a cease and desist. I think we're so <laughs> fine. I'm still waiting on a cease and desist from Fremantle for using Idle Australians with the new one with Jimmy. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I'll give it a plug. How's that show going? It's actually going really good. Yeah, yeah, we're really having. It's it's going really well. Um, we did an episode about Barry Larkin this week, who was, um, I think, one of Australia's greatest pranksters. Who on the Olympic torch relay of nineteen fifty six ran ahead of the actual torch and handed a pretend torch to the Lord Mayor of Sydney, who then went, "Oh fuck, it's here," and then started his speech. But it wasn't a torch; it was three pairs of underpants dipped in <laughs> kerosene and set alight. <laughs> and they were protesting the pomp and circumstance and ceremony surrounding the torch relay. Because did you know where the first Olympic torch relay started? Here's a clue. It was started by a country which at the time was really into dudes marching at nighttime carrying torches. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> yeah. It was started in Berlin in 1936. Awesome. I was in, uh, I was in Berlin uh, when Germany went, won the World Cup about five years oh ago. Oh, my God. And uh, I'd had shocking food poisoning the night before and I was just recovering. And uh, when Germany won the World Cup, I went out into my balcony to see the streets filled with Germans marching down the street, all yelling and chanting in German. I tell you what, even though it was all positive, it's nothing more unnerving than seeing the streets of Berlin filled with Germans cheering and chanting something. Singing Deutschland, Deutschland über alles. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do it for you. Um, Hang on, let's just quickly talk about it. We do a little quick kid update. Yep. How's your parenting been this week? Uh, look, it has been a challenging week. I will be upfront with that. Uh, Iona had seems to have a, a what we thought was a return of her gastro. She just fully Linda bled it about five or six days ago. Just was spewing every like half an hour and stuff with a very laconic attitude. I must admit, like she's definitely 
get that from my mother's side because I'm I'm not a good spewer. Yeah, you talked about this. You're a terrified spewer. Yeah, I need to, I need to crawl under a rock somewhere and just like cry until the sickness passes. But uh, so she had that going, and then the next day we noticed some um, flat red spots, like five or six, are on her body. And so we did the we did the cautious thing, and we called the uh, nurse on call, which is a great service in New South Wales. I'm sure every state has it. And then they referred us to an online GP. So that was a callback service. And they said because she had her 18-month vaccination, which is like the triple-barrel vaccination only about three weeks ago, it is not uncommon for a child a few weeks later to exhibit certain symptoms of the uh, viruses they've been immunized against, such as skin discoloration, Uh. nausea. But the uh, bit of advice the doctor gave, which is probably good advice for the listeners, is throwing up and spots and fevers are all fine if the child's behavior and attitude is good. So she was playing and laughing and bright in between all these incidents. It's when your child is lethargic, Mm. uh, moody, you know, not moving, you know, Uh, anything like that. That's when the combination of those three things becomes a concern. Their, Their advice to us was just monitor overnight. If she changes or she seems to get worse, then go see a GP, but it's certainly not an emergency situation. I'm glad that that's, man, I'm, I'm stoked that you have that peace of mind because that would have been really frightening considering she was only ill not so long ago as well. That would have been really scary for you guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that thing of if she had been exhibiting different behavior or had been like catatonic or or mm. just even really lethargic or something, that would have been a concern. But like I said, she was giggling and playing blocks in between and everything Mm. else seemed normal. It was just that we were noticing the bumps and we were getting spewed on every 45 minutes. Well, Wolf's not, he's not a hundred percent at the moment. He's doing these eyeball peeling acidic poops that are burning his poor little bottom to pieces which is all a part of teething. Mm. But I think his biggest challenge at the moment is I think he he must have grown like another 1% or 2% overnight because today he's fallen off the stairs. Not, not like we have two stairs that go from our back deck to the little porch behind it and he just went <laughs> just rolled straight oh, down and he you know then stood up and then went for a walk and just like completely face planted and suddenly his motor skills, his ability to control his walk cycles, everything's out because he's right. bigger now and his muscles yeah. don't know how to control the extra. Because he's he kind of, I don't know if Iona does this, he's like one of those, um, like a balloon animal that a clown makes. He goes <laughs> kind of really puffy and then really stretchy, then really puffy and then really stretchy. So he'll, he just kind of goes, fattens out and then gets really tall and thin yeah. and then fattens out and then gets really tall and thin from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a gingerbread man. You just roll the dough, you put it in the oven and watch it like spread out. It's pretty much it. But we want us to talk today, this is the final episode of season three, which has taken us from birth and to around about where, you know, we started talking, you know, things that start to happen in the first kind of six or nine months of, of baby being alive. And one of the biggest milestones that we had to deal with, and uh, I'm sure every parent has to deal with. So it's one thing to put the kid in the car to bring them home from the hospital. Mm. It's another thing to put the kid in the car and go, okay, we're going to leave the house. We're going to venture out away from our fridge, away from your cot, away from our, our washing machine, away from our stash of nappies, away from the food, away from everything, and it can be really full on. I remember when we, when we first went out, it was, it was actually it was pretty full on the first time we went out, and 
you know, like everything, I just for- I forgot to take stuff with me. Of course, oh, I absolutely yeah. forgot to take stuff with me. And I was I was grateful though, Charlie. And I, it's good to reflect on this right now. I was grateful though that we had in the early episodes of this show before the babies were born, we had people writing into us going, "Look, I'll just tell you this one thing. It was the best thing ever." Whatever you take out of the baby bag, put back into the baby bag as soon as you get back. And I mm-hmm. followed that advice and it was really, really handy. It really helped me to make sure that every time I grabbed that little backpack, it had everything I needed in it. I would never get caught short. The problem now is that people who are in their house go, I need a baby wipe. Oh, there's a baby bag. There'll be baby wipes in that. And yeah. they go missing. <laughs> they yeah. go missing. Yeah, I mean, having we actually have two designated uh, nappy bags what? because of that exact thing. We keep one in the car because obviously that's when we'll be travelling most, and then we have one that is like if we're going for a stroll, packing the pram, whatever, and we'll head out. So we've never, I think, there's only once I've been caught out without wipes. That's the one. I, everything else you can kind of live with, but not having wipes when yeah. the baby has done a poo, like trying to clean up poo with tissues, dry tissues <laughs> it, it sucks yeah. so since that it only happened to me once it'll never happen again <laughs> since then i have wipes i'm like one of those assassins where you know i keep like knives and guns in every like in every pocket in my body i get frisked and i'm shaking out like 47 packs of wipes left right and center right I mean, it's worth sort of mentioning too that you want to keep an eye on what kind of wipes you're using because some have perfumes in them, some are are more water-based, some have calamine lotion put in them. And I think it's all going to be dependent on, you know, your kid and their skin sensitivity. Yeah, We found uh, with Iona that water wipes, ones that have the least amount of calamine lotion or the least amount of perfumes are the best for her because she's got quite sensitive skin. Mm. And so they're readily available in most big chemists, but they are not the kind of thing that you can get from a milk bar or a service station late at night. No. Generally, it's the the, the Those things ones. double as stuff you can use to clean the inside of your windshield, um, <laughs> unfortunately, but it's true. So I guess when, when you're leaving your house, I'll, I'll be stating the obvious here, but you're going to need a few different changes of clothes because yep. if you've spent any time with your baby, whether it's vomit or milk or food or whatever, the baby's going to get messy. So- yep. When it comes to dressing baby for leaving the house, as a guide, babies get colder than you or I do because their ability to regulate the temperature is not quite the same yet. So you, as a guide, you want to put them in one extra layer than whatever you're wearing. So if you're just going for a stroll out the front or whatever and you're just wearing a T-shirt and jeans, do that with baby but put a jumper on, just a little cardi or something like that. Yeah. You can check the temperature on their forehead or on, the, on their hands or their feet because they, they tend to feel colder they do. Of course, you know, when you're thinking about, you may not want to use the, at the parents' room, wherever you're going, there might be a parents' room or a change table on a servo. So you may want to take a change mat, which you can get from any kind of baby store. Big, big thing here. And I know as someone who used to have a dog, you'll know how important this is. You can buy them from a baby store, nappy bags. Fuck it. We just use the dog poo bags. All right. Mm. (laughs) They're, They're compostable. They come in convenient rolls. Hell, they even have a little holder with a lanyard thing that goes on the on a leash. So you just pop that on the baby bag. And so when you get those super rank nosebleed nappies, you can wrap them up in these bags. And and, that also goes for wet clothes or anything that you put in the bag. So it's not going to soil everything else in there. Hand sanitizer. I mean, we're in COVID town. So of course you're going to take hand sanitizer with you, but just remember to keep one in there. And generally, you know, for me, plan when it comes to food, I I have, you know, the, the food that we're definitely going to be out of the house for it. Like it might be away from a lunch or a snack and a lunch, 
I would always pack a redundancy because you never know what's going to happen. So maybe one more yep. bottle than you think you need or two more bottles than you think you need. Generally, the the little um, formula carriers that I've, I've found, they tend to have three in them, mm. which is great because you might only use one, but then you know if you get stuck, you've got two up your sleeve, which is really, really handy. As far as, you know, actually how do you carry the baby? I mean, Charlie and I, we've talked a lot about the ergo baby about, you know, strapping the baby on and wearing the baby. I'm a big fan for baby wearing, big fan. As long as you can get away with it, do yeah. it because it's great. <laughs> yeah. It feels nice. I actually, yeah. I, I miss, I only sort of, she's really reluctant to get into the uh, the baby carrier these days. She's much more about either carry me on the hip or, or be in the pram. And I miss it. Because I think it is kind of like this, uh, you didn't have the pregnancy experience where you got to carry the baby, but yeah. this is like the next best thing. And I dare you, I dare you to complain about the baby's weight once to your partner <laughs> when oh, you yeah. put the baby carrier on. No. You will be gunned down in a matter of seconds. I guarantee yeah. that. It was also it's like way easier to do the shopping and stuff. Way yeah. easier. Because if you've got, even when we were in Skywalker mode when he was on the backpack, it was super, super easy. You did have to keep looking around and finding the things that what, what, he's suddenly holding a, you know, a, a mascara because you've walked a little too close to an aisle and he's just reached out and grabbed it, um, <laughs> which is pretty good. First time we went out though, and I know we talked about this in really early episodes, but I was just, and I was quite aware of the, you're walking too close to me, get the fuck away. And this is even before the pandemic. Mm. I had to be present to how weird I was about strangers coming close to me or people reaching out to touch him or things yeah. like that or or strange old ladies wanting to touch him. Like, wait a, wait a second, you might know. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it in previous seasons, but it is like you have a little celebrity strapped to your chest <laughs> because all of a sudden everyone wants to come over and, and say hello. And, and, and so you, you've got to work out a way to sort of create a little shield around your child without sort of being rude to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now you'd just be like, look, they've got the sniffles, you know, yeah. and if you turn up to work with a runny nose, you're not going to be able to go to work these days. So you may want to yeah. keep away. <laughs> I was just on the uh, the food thing. There's something that I just thought of then that's been really great that Jeremy and I have been using. And it's sort of more when your kid's a bit older, probably over nine months when they start drinking from straws, using straws, because babies, their initial impulse because of the baby bottles they have is to chew on a straw. So if you do go out, to a cafe or something like that, and they're given a paper straw, they tend to mush it up. They can't drink their smoothie or whatever. So invest in some rubber straws. They're fantastic. You get these thick rubber straws, which are thick enough that they, you know, wide enough that you can, you know, drink a smoothie in and the baby can chew away, but they don't collapse. Because there's been so many times prior to getting these straws, it would be at a cafe, would order her a smoothie or some kind of drink. And, you know, she would chew the straw or crush the straw within seconds. And then you, you keep ordering more straws. So even though they're paper straws, you're probably doing just as much environmental damage by the amount you're going through to get through one bloody smoothie. Um, so we always carry a couple of those yeah. rubber straws on us in case we're going to duck in somewhere, baby chino, uh, smoothie, anything like that. How were you the first few times that you left the house or how are you now when you leave the house? Obviously, you're far more used to it. But when you first mm. left the house with baby, how, how were you around strangers and other people? I think we were pretty relaxed. Um, God, it feels like such a long time ago now. But, you know, when I used to live near you in, in the same area, like it's a very village-like atmosphere. Like yeah. I knew all the shop owners and stuff. And so doing a little – we would just do little walks around the block to begin with. And so it didn't feel 
like we were going into any uncharted territory, like we knew exactly what was going to be waiting for us on every corner. I think the biggest challenge was when we took her into a cafe or a restaurant for the first time. Mm. And she was very young, I think it was maybe three months. We got a bit confident, overconfident, I would say, thinking that we could have an early dinner in a restaurant and just have her in the pram beside us when she's still in the bassinet. And that didn't go well because we sort of got in there, we'd ordered our food. Within seconds of ordering, Iona decided that she wasn't happy to be there and she wasn't going to be comforted and the bottle didn't do anything. And so we ended up having to just get the food as a takeaway and get out of there. So that was a kind of, you know, a, a quick learning curve was, all right, if you are going to go out to eat, maybe choose a cafe that's child-friendly, maybe choose a place that has a bit more room or that you can get the baby out that's not going to sort of disorientate them too much. And the third thing I'd say is be close to home because if you do have to make a quick exit, you don't then want to be, you know, half an hour from home with a baby crying in the back. Yeah, but if you do have to go, and it was Yumi Steins who's been on the show a few times, her husband Martin just said to me once, he goes, don't ever be afraid to pull a parachute. Don't ever yep. be afraid. It's never a bad thing to pull a parachute. It's worse if you don't. Yeah. And if you look at it that way, like, yeah, it's disappointing that you can't have a dinner out with your wife or, or your husband, but it's worse if you try and muscle through, not only for you, for baby, for everyone around you. Next time they see you at the cafe, they're like, oh, fuck these guys again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, you, you, you quickly start to learn what restaurants and what cafes are more geared towards kids. I mean, I never really took much notice of it when I was a childless young man or old man, I should yeah. say, before, as a, before I became a geriatric father. But you quickly start to ascertain this is an easy place to get prams in. This is a place where yeah. the clientele seem cool. There's other kids here. You know, you'll learn pretty quickly when you walk into a place. People will eyeball you if you bring a baby. Audrey is, and I think this might be because of her Fijian background, the fact her mum is Chinese Fijian and they've done a lot of this in their family. Audrey is adamant that the Chinese restaurant, importantly, the Yumcha, is the training ground because in a Yumcha mm. restaurant, they just don't give a shit. If you've got a screaming child at the table of eight with a lazy Susan in between you all, nobody cares. And, you know, baby can, you know, make a mess, can grab stuff. There's, you know, it's Yumcha, so there's food everywhere. It's anyway. Yeah. And so she's always a thing about it. the Chinese restaurant is, is the way to go because culturally they really aren't precious. And, you know, it's little baby, no worries, babies are babies, it's fine. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's all about that. She said that she did that with Georgia uh, when Georgia was little and then they kids have to learn how to sit at a table and not be engaged all the time and mm. just, just be there and just kind of look around. And in her experience, the Chinese restaurant was the, the way to go. We found that as well at Indian restaurants as well. No, no one cares. No one looks at you sideways. You're not going to do it at mm. rock pool. You know, you're not going yeah. to do it when you when you roll up to Cafe Sydney or something like that, or one of these humongo, you know, mega exclusive places. But I think it's a general rule. That's kind of it. And Charlie, I know that I, you know, in the words of Luke Heggie, he doesn't know what babies look like anymore. All he sees is the back of an iPad with four fingers <laughs> either side of it uh, when he looks at a stroller. I would really rather not be the guy that has to give a baby a phone at a table just so I can yeah. eat a dinner. I'd love to train as the same way that we train Wolfie to, to put himself to bed. I'd love to train him to just be there, to just sit and not yeah. be visually stimulated by um, an episode of Bluey or <laughs> whatever it is we put on a phone for him. I might be dreaming that, but that's what I'd like. 
<laughs> we should also uh, talk about traveling further than just outside your house, traveling on an aeroplane. Oh, you're a banner you... for this. You're a machine. You were doing this heaps when she was little, weren't you? Yeah. Well, you, well, you can actually do it when your baby is, is even from two days old, although doctors do recommend you wait until your baby's immune system has developed more. But if you desperately have to you know, get interstate to see family or anything, and notice how I say interstate, because if we'd done this show maybe 18 months ago, <laughs> we'd be talking about international travel, which yeah. we did with Iona right prior to the lockdowns. So what you want to think about there is if you are going to be traveling internationally, you sort of forget this, but a baby's going to need a passport. They fly for free when they're under two, but they do need to be documented. And I have to say, it is one of the most adorable experiences to get a baby a passport photo. Uh, You go to your post office like you normally do, and they have to lay the baby on its back. They lay out the background, the white sheet on the floor, and they put the baby on the ground. And it is one of my favorite baby photos of Iona is her passport photo (laughs) because – She's up vertically in the photo, but she was lying down when it was taken, so she has this beautiful double chin. She looks exactly like Alfred Hitchcock. That's so great. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of things to think about you know, when you are going to get on a plane with a baby. And you actually gave me this advice because you flew with Wolfie before we flew with Iona, and that's getting your timing right because – Gone are the days where you just have your carry on and you, you know, you waltz up to the gate, you know, two minutes before takeoff mm. and you get your seat because you've got nothing to carry. You're going to be lugging a shit ton of stuff. As I've said many times, after you have a kid, you stop becoming like a husband and a father and you become something like a, a two-legged mule. You become a pack animal. You are going to be lugging baby carriers, prams, extra suitcases, travel cots, all this kind of stuff. So you want to get to the airport early. Not only just to get your luggage on board, but you want to be able to get to the gate early. In fact, if you're lucky enough to have lounge access, I recommend finishing your lounge meal early (laughs) and getting down to the gate at least 20 minutes before they board because it's not going to be a quick process for you to get into your seat. You're going to be passing the baby back and forth as you load the overhead. Your wife's going to have to sit down or your partner's going to have to sit down. You're going to have to pass the baby to the... You want to do that nice and early, not when there is a whole airplane full of people trying yeah. to get on behind you. Yeah. So they generally make the call, at least in Australian airports, they make the call, if you need a little more assistance to get on, now's the time, take that, do it, get on, get on early, get on there behind the bloke on the Zimmer frame. Or oh, who's getting wheeled down, like get on there early. And absolutely what Charlie's saying, make sure all the stuff that you need is down with you because there's every chance that if in my case I'm awake, Audrey's like, I've been up all night feeding, I am sleeping on this plane and Wolfie is asleep in my hands but I'm like, shit, I'm going to – you can't get up or get anything. Everything's going to have to be with arm's reach, all right? Yep. Really important, really important. Yeah. And you also need to uh, contend with the fact of uh, air pressure on ascent and descent on a flight, which is going to drive your baby crazy. So the best advice, again, I think it was you guys who gave me this, maybe it was another couple, is to time your feeds, your baby feeds, around takeoff and landing because that helps the baby with the pressure in its ear to be suckling. So whether or not you you actually fly at feed times is sort of irrelevant. It's just more about just make sure your baby has something of an appetite that they're going to want to suckle at the time that you're going up and going down. Look, best laid plans always go astray. We told that we our flight was starting its descent and we started the baby and then the pilot came back on and said, oh, we've actually been told to go back up because there's too many planes trying to land and baby ran out of milk to drink and then baby went apeshit. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. 
everyone wants to avoid that. Everyone's like, oh, please let me be the one person to have the baby that doesn't go apeshit on a plane. It's not going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Don't want to scare you, Osh. It's like riding a motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> like the chances of having an accident, just, it's just a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. But look, here's the one thing I'll say is just put yourself in the shoes of the other passengers. You're a young family. People will get over it. And I, I have nothing, since I've become a father, I have nothing but sympathy for parents of young children. When I hear that chorus of cries go up as their ears pop on the way down, I look yeah. at the parents and I'm like, I understand. I know exactly what you're going through. And for the people who stare at you or give you daggers, fuck them. I'm sorry. Yeah. Really, what is wrong with you? I remember there was one guy when I was trying to get on a plane, I have one of those collapsible prams that you can actually take as carry-on luggage. And I passed Iona to Gem. She went and took the seat. And it took me, I would say, Osh, roughly seven seconds to pack down this pram before I could. This guy behind me could not wait that seven seconds. Like, had to squeeze past me because I was inconveniencing him so much. So that guy, a big fuck you. <laughs> You end up finding this, yourself saying this a fair bit, and, and you're absolutely right. The next phase I'd, I'd like to talk about in this episode is another thing that eventually once baby gets a little bit bigger, you start to look at your partner and go, it's been a little too long since I've sat across the table from you and had someone else cook dinner and we can sit there and look at each other. To do that, you're going to have to A, a leave the house and B, make sure someone's at the house to be with baby. So you're going to have to leave the baby with someone. Now, mm. if you're lucky, it will be somebody you in your family or someone you know very well, or you're going to have to get yourself a sitter. This is hard at the best of times. I'm pretty lucky because it's Audrey's second child, so she's far more relaxed about it. And I totally understand, though, and I completely get how full on it will be. One thing that I would say is that if you are, when you do leave a baby with a sitter, and there's there's a reason why it works, is like if you start with asking friends who've got kids if they know anybody, that will immediately take a lot of the pressure off you because this person comes mm. recommended. This person has looked yep. after a friend of yours's kid already. This person, you know, a friend of yours trusts them. And so rather than just finding someone randomly on a notice board at the supermarket and giving them a call, you might be stuck. <laughs> that might be your only options, but you know, that's what you've got to do. When it comes to, Prepping, I personally don't think you can prep the sitter too much. Like for anyone that comes to look after Wolf during the day, I write out a big kind of timesheet, almost like a call sheet that we have in film and television. We have a call sheet that tells you exactly what's happened at what time of day. So Do you I, really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And oh I write this God. big like between 7 and 7.30, this happens between 7.30 and 8, this happens between 8 and 8.30, this happens. Like just break it down into half-hour chunks because he's not on the clock, but he's close. <laughs> and just try to give them as much as I possibly can beforehand. Same way with making sure leaving out clothes that he will need through the day, trying to prep the bottles and things as much as I can before I go and do it well before I, it's time to leave. So that way when it's time to walk out the door, everything's done. You're not rushing and that also mm. changes the way that you feel when you're saying goodbye to baby. If you can, it's worth paying the sitter to come early to just be there while you're there. That helps the transition because the big trick is the transition of you leaving the house. And yeah. it's important to say goodbye when baby's in a neutral place, either like perhaps playing on the floor with the sitter in the high chair or like a baby swing with the sitter rather yeah. than you hugging baby, giving baby to the sitter goodbye. Like that's just going to create separation anxiety. Say a yeah. happy goodbye when the babysitter's there and then can distract them with a favorite toy or something like that. And then mm. the most important thing, super important, do not sneak away while the baby's asleep. You've got to leave while the baby's awake, all right? 
because what they can do, and this is wild to think about, it can increase separation anxiety. It make them think that you might leave at any point without notice. Because right. if they wake up and you're not there, yeah. it, it's wild how young this stuff starts. But as someone who talks a lot about mental health as an adult, this shit starts really, really young. So you've, yeah. you've got to figure it out. And then try as hard as you can to go out and have a good time. Try as hard as you can not to text all the time. Try as yeah. hard as you can to just believe that everything will be okay. It's difficult. Yeah. Here's my challenge. Yeah. Go out to dinner and try not spend the entire dinner talking about the baby and looking at photos of the baby on your phone. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> you get you look forward to it so much. You look forward to it so much and then you get out there and you're like, God damn it. All we're doing is talking about the baby. Yeah. Look, do you feel, you know, that babysitting has changed from when we were kids? Like my memory of like babysitters, I had a lot of older brothers and sisters, so, you know, I, I had fairly minimal experience, but I did babysitting and – it's fair to say in the 80s, there was not a lot of kind of stringent examination of like qualifications no. or anything like that. I mean, I was a terrible babysitter. I I would never hire me. Like a 15-year-old Charlie Clawson was just snooping through your stuff and, you know, just seeing what liquor he could steal and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that is not the way of babysitters these days. Like it is uh, uh, what you often find is there's people who work in childcare who moonlight yeah. as babysitters. And that's always super reassuring. Osh is right. Like when you can get someone to vouch for a babysitter, someone that you trust, that that goes a long way. And and that's exactly what we did. We had a, a friend because we moved to a new area. We didn't really have any contacts. We've got no family up here. And we had a friend say, oh, I know two fantastic babysitters gave both their numbers. And so we've tried both of them. They are both great. And they both work in childcare. So uh, the first woman, Yvonne, when she came around, like it was noticeable from the first meeting that this is a person who professionally worked with children's, the language she used, the approach she used with Iona, mm. the way Iona was immediately put at ease. Like it was, I was expecting to be a lot more anxious about it than I, I mean, I was very anxious about leaving her leading up to Yvonne arriving, but then like I said, within five minutes of her turning up and seeing, because we were feeding Iona, we were giving her dinner, and Yvonne just came in and, and took over and started feeding her. And Iona's not like a, a shy kid, but, you know, she does take a, a you know a, a second or two to warm up to a stranger, but not with Yvonne. She just had the knack. And what's also great about her is that that call sheet that you were talking about, she asked for that straight away and then she just processed it. Like we, she just wanted to know what the routine is. Yeah. Uh, when does she normally go down? What's her comfort toy? Does she tend to wake up? You know, what's your approach if she does wake up? What does she like to play with? Does she get screens or no screens? Uh, what kind of books? All this kind of stuff. She, like, like a, a really experienced waiter, yeah, <laughs> she didn't yeah. write down one thing. She just absorbed it all. And then when we went out to dinner, we didn't, call her once. She texted us. She must have known to text us, you know, two hours in just to say she's fine. She's fast asleep. And since then, it's just been very smooth sailing. She did have her first challenge with Iona about two weeks ago um, when Iona was coming off the back of the gastro and a bit of a, like a developmental leap. So that was the first time I've seen Yvonne a bit flustered, not flustered, that's not the wrong term, but when we came home, it had obviously been a, like she'd earned her cash. That yeah, night. right. Okay. I'll put it that way. Like generally we'll come home and she's just sitting, you know, in the living room outside Iona's room just on her phone, just like relaxing. But when we got back, she, she would had just put Iona down for the fourth or fifth time and she wow. was like, oh, like none of the normal tricks worked. But the great thing about having a, a professional babysitter or a babysitter who works in childcare is that then she's able to give 
us advice. Yeah. So, you know, we talk through what Iona has been going through that week and it's almost like having like a doula again, because she's mm. like, okay, well, you know, this is often what kids are doing or, you know, at her age, they're going through this. And right. because she works in childhood education as well, when she's reading to Iona or when she's doing puzzles with her, she's able to then give us an assessment of where mm-hmm. Iona is at developmentally. So, you know, if the question is, well, we could hire that teenager next door and save ourselves 10 bucks an hour, or we pay a little bit extra and we get someone who works in childcare, I can recommend paying the 10 bucks extra. Wow. That's fantastic. And can I get Yvonne's number? Because that's <laughs> It's funny you say that because I guess now that Wolf's a bit bigger, it's wild to think that we were a bit more limited now that he's bigger because when he was small enough to put on my tummy for mm-hmm. me to carry him, absolutely he would just come with us. And two things uh, really stick out for me, Charlie, because he'd just fall asleep on my chest in the baby carrier. He came to a friend's 50th in Coogee, which was, you know, people who are 50, uh, you know, I'm a bit younger than them, but people are like getting on it, Charlie. Mm. And and Wolfie was just asleep on my chest, which is also great because then he's got his face into my chest and and no one can kind of reach out and squish him. Mm. But it it was really, really great. And then we went to a wedding. We went to a wedding down in Victoria. And similarly, like I'm in my nice suit and everything like that. And I just had a baby strapped to me because he was small enough to, we had everything with us. We had the baby bag and he would just sleep no problem. But a lot of that happened too. And we talked about this in earlier episodes, just getting him used to the noise of other people mm. and noise of so the noises weren't weird it was just like oh this is people talking i know what people talking is like i'm okay to be asleep around all of this and that was really helpful it's wild to think that now he's bigger we're actually a little more limited in our social life because we can't really take him out and just strap him to us so he's a mobile now he has to kind of be out and about exploring yeah but yeah that was i, I miss those days already <laughs> it's funny isn't it because we're, we're similar we want iona to be resilient we want her to be able to you know we stick to routine as much as possible but if we break a routine, we don't want it to be, you know, yeah. like the end of the world. And we also want her to be sociable with strangers. And and when I say sociable with strangers, not on her own. Like yeah, when yeah. we introduce her to people that she doesn't know, yeah. to be social and not shy and all that kind of stuff. But I remember I was um, a friend of the show, Jules Lund, uh, who was on the show a few weeks ago. I remember going to a party at his house when he was living in Sydney about five years ago. And it was, sounds like your 50th. It was an absolute rager. And I assumed his girls were, you know, at their grandparents or something. And he's like, oh no, they're just asleep upstairs. And I'm asleep. And he's like, yeah. And so he showed me and the two girls, like angels were fast asleep. And he's gone, you know, that's the way I grew up is my parents loved to entertain. And, you know, we were always having like barbecues and parties. And he said, I just remember I've got really fond memories of, you know, falling asleep to the sound of like my parents, like, you know, dancing and laughing and all that kind of stuff. And Gemma was the same thing. Like her parents growing up on this little island in Scotland, like her parents often had the, you know, people from the the neighboring farms over and they would like just put on these parties. And so it's not something that you have to sacrifice. Like you don't have to give away your social life or never see your friends again, but it probably is going to require more work on your part mm. to then teach your children to be more resilient or then get them, you know, into a, a back into a routine that the week after that. I, I guess it could also change the way that you connect with your mates. Mm. I don't know if this can relate. When I first got sober, I still wanted to see my friends, but going out to dinner was tough because they would be drinking and mm. I'm fine with it now. But for the first couple of years, I, I really struggled with even the smell of alcohol. I struggled being around people drinking at night. So I'd meet people for brunch. I'd meet people for breakfast, you know, and that 
things like that really helped me stay connected with mates. Go for a run, go for a ride, go for a surf. These sorts of things really help me. Now, can you do those things with little babies? You can go for breakfast with people. You can, you know, come over for a cup of tea, come over for coffee. These are ways that you can do it. And when people come around now, we kind of have been doing it the same way. Like we're going to have dinner with some neighbours on the weekend and we are literally going to get there at 4.30. We're going to sit down at 8 at 5. And it's yep. going to be awesome. Everyone's going to be in bed by nine and it's going to be fucking high fives all around. It's going to be oh, awesome. Sh- we uh, It's currently just gone 4 p.m. as we are recording this. As soon as I'm done with this, I'm going upstairs. I'm having a shower. Jeremy and I are putting together a cheese plate and we're heading over to our friend's place for a pizza dinner with their little girls. And then we're going to be home and in bed by 8 p.m. So Sick. it can be done. Can the other thing done. I'd say too is, you know, earlier we're talking about restaurants and cafes that are family friendly, there are a lot of venues that are specifically geared to the kind of families that you and I have right now, which is super young kids who just need to go crazy. So I know in my old hood where you live, there's a big venue that has like a, a kid's area, like an entire section of the restaurant is dedicated to kids. Where I'm living now, there is a bowls club that has an area called the cage. So yes. if you can think it, on one side of the bowls club is the beautifully manicured lawns where the pensioners go during the week to bowl and then the, the kids on the weekends go to party. But then for the rest of the time on the other side, there's just this open grassed area that's enclosed by cyclone fencing where you sit down with your friends, you have a sit at a picnic bench and you order your food and the kids just go bananas. And it's the best thing ever because it's literally a big open space about half the size of a football field. The venue just throws a whole bunch of like toys and balls in the middle and the kids like Thunderdome just go crazy. And I thought this was a fairly unique thing, but what I've found out since is there's, I don't know, there's lots of places that do that. I mean, it's kind of like the, uh, I guess it's the same thought pad as like a McDonald's having the, like the little, little playground, but yeah, yeah. you can go to a place that isn't as evil as McDonald's, <laughs> <laughs> like a venue. You can give back to your local community and support like a yeah. local business for a place that is specifically geared to be family friendly. And, and that to me seems to be the best compromise where you know, I've got a lot of friends who live up here who have kids the same age and it means, you know, like you said, we can get together at 4 p.m., we order an early dinner, we can sit there, have a drink, have some food and the kids are just running around having fun but you, they're in, you've got a 180-degree view of them. It's not like they're disappearing yeah. anywhere. They're just running around in an open space. Having said that, it seems like every time we go there, there is some kid trying to scale the fence. It's a 14-foot, you know, cyclone fencing or there's a bunch of kids trying to tunnel under it like it's, you know, escape from Alcatraz. And last week, someone took Iona's soccer ball and kicked it over the fence. I had to go retrieve it. But apart from that, Osh, it is heaven on earth. Lessons of life. I love it. We should really talk about the Dad Pod Hall of Fame, which in season two really took it up a notch. But season three, you've been going above and beyond the call here, creating an amazing repertoire of of men that we look up to, father figures. Father figures, not necessarily biological fathers, but father figures. And I'm just going to play a little soundbite because I was thinking, you know, I was going to do my normal introduction, but I thought, you know what? I'll just let the character from the film explain it. So just listen to this. Watching John with the machine, it was suddenly so clear. The Terminator would never stop. It would never leave him. And it would never hurt him. Never shout at him or get drunk and hit him or say it was too busy to spend time with him. It would always be there. And it would die to protect him. 
Oh my God. Of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. In an insane world, it was the sanest choice. Be like the Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) Not the T-1000. No, no, not him. Terrible father. Not the T-1000, the T-800. The T-1000 is a terrible father, but the T-800, when programmed correctly, is the best father. I mean, she makes a good point, right? She does make a good point. There is an element to that when you are being a father, which is that you have to suppress your emotion and you just have to stick the task, which is I'm here to protect and serve this child. Yeah. And was never too busy didn't want to talk about it. it was like no 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 this is part of my job is to do this maybe you know i've heard filmmakers talk about i made the movie so i could make that 10 seconds or that made that 15 seconds that's why i made the whole movie i wonder if james cameron made terminator 2 just for that monologue well you think about it like filmmaking is all about planting and payoff planting and payoff you see something earlier in the film and then you have a payoff at the end so this beautiful monologue about how in an insane world the, the the Terminator makes the most sane choice for a father. And the very last scene is the Terminator saying to John that he can't be his father because he can't cry, he can't feel emotion. He can serve one part of fatherhood but not the emotional connection that he needs. And then as he's lowered into the vat of molten metal, he gives him the lone thumbs up. <laughs> and 12-year-old Charlie Clawson burst into tears in the cinema. <laughs> It's a sad moment. It, it is a sad, sad moment. moment. It's pretty great though. That's a really clever one, Charlie. That's a real, and I think a perfect end to season three of Dad Pod. The T eight hundred, Dad Pod salutes you. <laughs> <laughs> what is this podcast even anymore? Which brings season three of Dad Pod Beyond Sleeping in to a close. Thank you so much to everybody that listened. Thank you for being a part of it. I know it's a different thing to have two guys talking about fatherhood, but judging by the things that you write to us and that you email us and that you talk to us on Instagram, it, it resonates and that you're happy to hear two blokes talk about it. So hopefully we'll be back for season four. I don't know what Mel Gibson movie we can possibly go to for season four for the artwork. Yeah, we might have to pick another star to uh, steal from. I think maybe we've 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 run the Mel race, have so to we? speak. Have we though? It might I be. mean, when it comes to when you use the word race and Mel in the same <laughs> sentence, it's always dodgy. So. We'll find someone else. Amazing. Charlie, I'm so grateful I got to do the show with you, that I get to do this show with you, and uh, I hope we can come back for season four and um, talk about the trials and tribulations of Toddler Town, which is an entirely new challenge, well beyond <laughs> well beyond the first nine months of a year of baby life. Once they get mobile, oh boy. Yeah, all bets are off. It is on. Thank you, Andy Marr, for producing the show. Thank you very Thanks, much Andy. to Mike Mills for the fantastic music. Charlie, you go out and have a great social life with your beautiful <laughs> daughter and your wonderful wife, and you go and be a great dad doing great dad stuff while you have pizza night with your cheese platter. Thanks, Osh, and you enjoy being a dad doing whatever you're doing tonight. Riding a motorcycle down at Bondi Junction to grab a hamburger because Deliveroo keep messing up my order. All right. So, <laughs> I'm just going to go and get it myself. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, man. Have a great weekend. Until we speak on season four, go to bed. 